speak from in a moment. It's from Acts 20. Um, don't read it in your Bibles, because I'm actually going to... I normally read it from the message, don't we, or something modern. This is actually Young's literal translation, so we're going back a bit, um, because it had the same impact when I read it this week, uh, because it just woke me up to think, oh, I've got to think differently then. So forgive me, but this is older English. Uh, this is written while Paul was in Turkey. So that's interesting, isn't it? So I'm reading for verse 16 if you read it later. Paul decided to sail past Ephesus that there may not be to him a loss of time in Asia. For he hasted, if it were possible for him, on the day of the Pentecost to be at Jerusalem. And from Miletus, having sent to Ephesus, he called for the elders of the assembly. And when they were come to him, he said to them, You you know from the first day in which I came to Asia how with you at all times I was, serving the Lord with all humility and many tears and temptations that befell me in the counsels of the Jews against me. How nothing I did keep back of what things are profitable not to declare to you and to teach you publicly and in every house, testifying fully both to Jews and Greeks towards God, reformation, and faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, lo, I, bound in the Spirit, go on to Jerusalem, the things that shall befall me in it, not knowing, save that the Holy Spirit in every city does testify fully, saying that for me, bonds and tribulations remain. But I make account none of these things, neither do I count my life precious to myself, so that I may finish my course with joy, and the ministration that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify fully the good news of the grace of God. And now, lo, I have known that no more you shall see my face. Ye all, among whom I did go preaching the reign of God. Wherefore I take you to witness this day that I am clear from the blood of all, for I did not keep back from declaring to you all the counsel of God. Take heed, therefore, to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit made you overseers to feed the assembly of God that he acquired through his own blood. For I have known this, that there shall enter in after my departing grievous wolves to you, not sparing the flock. And of your own selves there shall arise men speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore watch, remembering that three years, night and day, I did not cease with tears, warning each one. And now I commend you, brethren, to God and to the word of his grace that is able to build up and to give you an inheritance among all who are sanctified. The silver or gold or garments of no one did I covet. And you yourselves know that to my necessities and to those who were with me, minister did these hands. All things I did show you, that thus laboring, it behoveth us to partake with the ailing, 
to be mindful also of the words of the Lord Jesus that he himself said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And these things having said, having bowed his knees with them all, Paul did pray. And there came a great weeping to all. And having fallen upon the neck of Paul, they were kissing him, sorrowing most of all for the word that he'd said, that about no more to see his face. And they accompanied him to the ship. Thank you. I love that translation, actually. It's, it just follows the Greek in English. Um, I just wonder what was going through your mind when you heard those words that Pete was reading. Was it going through your mind, I wonder, that this is really old-fashioned and it's a bit difficult to understand? Or did it make you think differently um, about a passage which you probably read many times? Because when I read that, the thing that struck me was... The nature of Paul's ministry amongst the Ephesians and how utterly different it is from the ministry which is often expected in churches in our 2021st century, where the minister ministers are expected to be the omnicompetence who lead and encourage everybody to do things. Whereas what Paul did, he preached, he taught, he testified, he exalted, he warned. When we read that, the whole of his life of ministry was based entirely in the word of God and making Jesus known through it. It wasn't doing things, it wasn't building a massive unit of people in an area it was making it was building up people into strong spiritual houses that's what he says at the end he's called together the elders from Ephesus they had to come about 60 miles to meet him there 60 miles each way uh, he called the, uh, the elders from Ephesus and he said, you're not going to see me anymore. What I've been doing, I want you now to be the ones who build up the church. And the word he uses, this is his intention for the church. This is his desire for the church. And this is what he wants the elders to do after him, is to build up the church. The word that is used to build up, is a word that's used of houses. And it's a word which can mean to build, embellish, repair, amplify a building. That's how, that's what it means. And he wants these Christians to be built, to be amplified, to em be embellished, to be repaired as spiritual men and women, built up together 
into the Lord. That is his dream for these people. That's his desire. And when you read the letter which he later wrote to the Ephesians, and you read his prayer, you get another sense of what he wanted for the people of God, the church, what his ministry was all about. For this reason, he wrote in his letter, for this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in the inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. That's the purpose of his teaching. That's his prayer for the church. That's what he wants for you. The people, you, who have been purchased for God by the blood of Jesus. That's a phrase he uses, isn't it? You have been bought by the blood of Jesus. You belong to Christ. We do. Now then, he says, again in his letter, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or even imagine, who is able to do it according to the power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So at the end of it all, it's not just that he wants a wonderful, beautiful, vibrant bunch of Christians. He wants people who so display Jesus that in the church and in Christ there is glory seen. To him be glory in the church for all generations. We, the church is the body by which the world measures Christ. So Paul devotes himself to the word of grace, to the teaching of the Lord Jesus, to the presentation of Jesus. Do you remember he said to the Galatians, I, I, I portrayed Jesus to you. I portrayed him to you. Because it's not about Paul, and it's not about the teaching itself, it's about Jesus. And to the Romans, he wrote, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. 
It was so wonderful at the beginning of this service to actually just sing Jesus, 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 Jesus. Because our life, our hope, our future is all to do with Jesus. He is the way, our way. He is truth. He is life. So Paul did everything he possibly could to make Jesus known. That was his ministry. He used a number of words. He had quite a varied vocabulary, or Luke does in this passage as he describes what Paul did. He uses a number of different words about Paul proclaiming, which means announcing, announcing the good news. Another word which is used in this passage, which also means announcing, has to do with heralding. Oh yay, oh yay, oh yay, hear ye, Jesus Christ is risen, he is the Lord, he is the way, the truth and the life, he is the one that we are to call upon. This was the nature of his preaching. He was declaring, proclaiming. He was testifying, is another word that was used. Out of his own experience and his knowledge of God, he testified to the truth of the word. And there's another place where he warned. Would you be willing to have your ministers warn you? On the strength of the word of God? Or should they keep their nose out of your affairs? if they see that maybe you're walking in a way which is likely to bring dishonor to Jesus. Because Paul was an apostle and he warned, and my special Greek books have got a very long definition of what that warning may have included. To put something in someone's mind, to instruct to provide instruction so as to correct behavior and belief, to warn, to admonish, to instruct somebody who has gone astray by warning him of the danger, admonishing him to return. See, Christ died for our sins to make for himself a holy people. A people now who have been rescued from the slavery of sin. and who live, who are made righteous through their association with Jesus, through faith, but who live for Jesus in the strength of that, lives which are holy and unlike the lives all around. So part of his proclamation in making Jesus known was to say, look, our Saviour was a sinless Saviour. He hung on the cross for your sins. He carried, he carried the can for your sins. He went into hell. You have been crucified with Christ through your baptism with him into a death like his and you have been given the Holy Spirit and you've been raised with him in a new life so that 
Now you need not sin. I'm going to ask Pete to say something. Uh, Because we were talking about this during the week. And he said to me what it was that attracted him to the gospel when he first went from a lukewarm one kind of church to another. Can you tell us? You've got the mic there. Uh, When I was a student, um, first went to university, I, I actually was rather fed up with Christianity as I knew it because it seemed so weak and powerless. Um, So when I went to university, I thought, I don't see there's any point in following this, really. Um, You go to a kind of confession every week, you go and get your sins forgiven every week, but where's the power? What's the point? Um, You can do that with any religion. This is why I think it's good to pray for the Muslim world. Many are sincere seekers, and they need Jesus. And then I met people who talked about the fact that when Jesus sets you free, he sets you free. And I was introduced to Romans, which says, he frees you from the power of sin. And that's what so excited me. Um, I'm not saying you're sinlessly perfect, which some people say, because I just don't believe in that. But to know that not only are you forgiven for the past, but you have a power to live free in the future, was utterly, utterly transforming. And I feel we've lost that gospel, if I'm honest. Um, Just talking about it this week. We're so apologetic for our state and so expect ourselves to sin that I think we've lowered the bar and we should say, come on guys, Jesus calls to be holy. Let's make an effort and rely on God's grace to live differently. That's what set me free in the first place and I'm beginning to wonder how far I've fallen. So that was the provocation. See, and... I've lowered, have lowered the bar over the years too. I love Jesus, but forget the power of the good news. And there was a time not so very long ago when I was struggling with some... You know how in your previous life you may have been troubled by this or that, and then you become a Christian, and there's this... this and you're transformed, but then the devil is a wily old character. And every now and then he brings back the triggers from the past. Has that happened to you? He, he triggers something which is from the past and suddenly you think, I'm a failure, I'm not a Christian, I'm lousy, this doesn't work, I don't deserve to be here, I shouldn't be preaching. Because the old things are going through the head again. And I was reminded of this. It was as though the Spirit said to me, be free from this infirmity. And it occurred to me, but I've read that somewhere else, and I found it in the Bible, and it wasn't those words. It was where Jesus approached, a woman approached Jesus, and she'd been bent. And she'd been, he said, um, she'd been bent double for 18 years. And Jesus said to her, you are loosed from your infirmity. And I wondered, so did she walk home like this and say, yippee, I'm loosed from my infirmity? Or did she say, I'm loosed from my infirmity, I can stretch up. And she could stretch up because Jesus had done something she couldn't do for herself. He, by his word, had loosed her. And this is the good news that Paul was preaching. It's why he had to warn the people. He probably warned them in the same spirit that Pete just spoke. 
Because we're called to be holy. Well, how do I escape the sin which does so easily entangle me? Well, if the Son shall set you free, and this is the gospel he was preaching continually, if the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. Those sins that once you were a slave to, he has loosed you from that power. So do you carry on walking like this? Or do you say, he has loosed me from the power... I can pass this temptation by and live for Jesus. That's the good news of the gospel, isn't it? That's what he preached. That's what he wanted for this church. That's what he wants it for you. That's what I sense I have lost. And all over this country, Christians have forgotten that. I remember when I was a new Christian, somebody who was on the charismatic circuit somewhere said something. I've not forgotten it. He says, uh, when the devil tempts him, he turns around, and it sounded a bit arrogant, but he said, get away, devil, this house is under new management. I like that. You're under new management because Paul was preaching this. He was preaching the kingdom of God. I've gone among you, he said, preaching the kingdom You are under new management, you have a new Lord, and your Lord is risen from the dead, and your Lord is living in heaven, and your Lord's wounds have been glorified, and your Lord is with you wherever you go, even to the end of the age. This is the gospel he was preaching, and because of this, and the the trust that people put in it, extraordinary things happened in Ephesus. Did you know that? Why he is so, so... convinced of the power of the good news. Here are some of the things that happened. We're told, well, first of all, did you recall or notice when we were reading the reading how he said that he preached to them publicly and from house to house? Well, I'm not sure about the house to house, but it may have been because they met in homes, little churches in homes. It may have meant that, I don't know. But he preached publicly, and he did it for three years. We find it in the previous chapter. He was preaching in the synagogue for three months, and then some Jews began to argue with him and said, stuff this, we don't want any more of this. So he went next door to the lecture hall of Tyrannus. And we're told that he lectured there every day for three years. And one ancient version, so this is not a wholly testified, um, um, this, is, this is, may well be authentic, but it's only one or two earlier versions which include this, include that he testified there from 11 in the morning till 4 in the afternoon. I make that five hours a day for three years. So as it says, so that what all of Asia, all of Ephesus, and all of Asia, the province, heard about the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he did with his time. And he made Jesus known, and it was Jesus he was making known. But because he wasn't speaking a creed, because he was speaking words to introduce people to Jesus... Jesus did things. The Lord, as it says in Mark, the Lord confirmed the word with signs that followed. As people believed in him, Jesus did things. 
because and through the word, because it's a living word. And so we read that God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. So that many people were healed and evil spirits were driven out of people. Because you see, the word of God is living and active. And it's pointless preaching it if we just think it's dead script. Mere creed. Just a story. Only a myth to bolster us emotionally to live better life. The word of God, the word of Jesus is living and active. And it didn't happen often here, but people have been healed here in the past. I bumped into somebody in, in, one, of the, in one of the supermarkets the other day at the checkout and she said, you're David Winfield, aren't you? I said, yes, how did you know that? And it turned out to be somebody who used to come here. She and her husband both became Christians and uh, here. But one day she said to me, would you go and visit my mum in hospital? She's got gangrene. So I said I would. But I went to declare Jesus, who is Jesus. There's nothing he cannot do. And when I was praying for this lady before I went, I was convinced in my heart that I had to pray for a healing and I was scared, to tell the truth. Like I'd been stood on the edge of a, of, a, of a precipice and been told to jump. And if I got this wrong, I could dishonor Jesus rather than honor him. But when I got to that bedside, I couldn't get rid of this, so I, we made small talk. And then, in the end, rather, and it, and, and it sort of made it, easier for me in the sense that she'd had her foot amputated the day before and I was thinking no healing is not on here <laughs> um, that would be wonderful but sorry God I can't believe you for that um, but this was insistent so in the end I said to her would you like me to pray for you just that you get better and she said oh yes please and so convinced that God had put this in my heart I prayed for her now, when I tell this story, I still have to scratch my head and say, have I, have I concertina time? Because she was home three days later, having had her foot amputated. It was under a cradle thing when I went. And when I went to see her, she said, well, the next day the consultant came round with some students and he said, oh, yes, looking at the nose, da, 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 da. And he looked at my foot and he said, um, um, excuse me, um, run along and get um, Mr. So-and-so, will you? And he brought in another consultant. And then in front of the student said, I really do not understand this. This is healing much quicker than it ought to. And it hadn't completely healed, but it was completely healing. She hasn't got a new foot. The point is, Jesus is the living Lord and his word is his word. And we no longer take him at his word. 
He might be my saviour, but my sins might be too heavy for him. He might be my saviour, but he doesn't go around driving out demons or healing the sick anymore. He doesn't do mighty things like whole, whole areas coming to know about him. He doesn't do that anymore because this is the 21st century. But listen, if Paul was here, he proclaims Jesus. He heralds him. And I just want to do that this morning. I just want to herald Jesus, who is the same yesterday and today and forever and for you. The power of this word was extraordinary as it was preached there. Oh, we've got communion. I must finish in a moment. We read in the previous chapter that there was a commotion, there was a riot in Ephesus. It was started by a guy called Demetrius, who was a silversmith, and although he, he turned it into a kind of religious fervor, the basis of it was that people weren't buying the silverware to put on the shrines of the goddess Artemis anymore. You have to understand that Ephesus was the local world center for Artemis worship. And he started a riot in the city against Paul because so many people were believing in this Jesus. Demetrius says, this man Paul has perverted the people against Artemis. We are losing our business. There was a riot which the city clerk in the end had to had to come and, and, and quieten. And he was really angry. And he was really angry because, he's, in his words, these men have not robbed temples and they have not blasphemed our gods. Now think about that. Think about right-wing theologies, which sometimes we read these days, which wouldn't pray for Muslims, but would condemn them. Paul didn't rob their temples, and he didn't blaspheme Artemis. He just preached Jesus, the living Savior. The outcome of that was as a result of another incident which you can read for yourself and I won't go into now. Again, you'll find it in the previous chapter. We here read that a number of people have become Christians who were formerly involved in sorcery and witchcraft and occult activity had been so transformed by Jesus that they brought their parchments and had made a public bonfire of them somewhere in Ephesus. We're not told that Paul told them to do this. This was the effect of Jesus and the teaching of Jesus in their lives. When they realized that Jesus is Lord, there could be no other lords. When they realized that Jesus is the Savior who actually works miracles in our lives, including releasing us from the power of our sin... 
They didn't want these other lords which left them in confusion and all kinds of things. They brought their parchments and they publicly burnt them. The extraordinary thing about this is that Luke says these parchments were estimated to be about 50,000 drachmas in value. I don't know what a drachma was worth, but wherever I look, I'm told it was worth a day's wage. 50,000 drachmas worth. 50,000 days wages worth of things which were once considered precious because of Jesus now seen as trash and publicly burned and disposed of. That is life transformation, isn't it? And Paul preached Jesus. And I want to commend you to the grace of God and to this same word of his grace. And I want to herald Jesus this morning. He really is the living Lord.